It's a curious thing how we forget sometimes to switch on the microphone, but it's great that there's someone who can tell me what's gone wrong. <laughs> what I was going to, uh, when I said it's a curious thing, it's a curious thing to be here in many different ways to be in the situation that I find myself in, to be in the situation that you find yourself in, which may be quite similar, may be different. The, the sense of curiosity initially here for me is that I actually don't know so much exactly of what's going on for you today, how it's been. kind of wonder how you've encountered this experience that we've suggested and invited you to engage with. And one of the things I noticed when I sat down to reflect on what I might speak about this evening, what I might offer by way of reflections, was that I noticed my mind wasn't moving very quickly. In fact, there was a significant period of reflection where I noticed it wasn't really moving at all. <laughs> and for a meditator, this might seem like a rather wonderful thing. It's like, great, my mind's stopped. It would be perhaps something one had been looking forward to. But when it comes to generating a Dharma talk, it's not actually what one is looking for. It's not actually what one is, uh, in a way, expected to be uh, experiencing. And... Uh, there's something about what happens when we, when we start to trust the truth of what's happening ahead of our ideas about what we think should be happening. Whatever the situation, whatever the role we might be occupying, even if we might feel there's some responsibility to others to produce something. Now in meditation we can perhaps feel often the sense of responsibility is to a significant degree in relationship to ourselves, that we somehow need to produce something, we need to get to some place or generate some experience or perhaps even insight, understanding that we feel will make a difference for us. And it's quite a, a valid and understandable way of relating to what's happening here. I'm not saying it's uh, inappropriate at all. And yet it whatever that might be, that we have a sense of being moved, inspired, or feeling the need or hope to, to generate, to experience. It's not necessarily what happens. And how is that for us? What's it like to be in a situation where we can't necessarily make the practice happen the way we think it should, produce the experience we might have imagined was the right one, the appropriate one, the it's, it's striking to me to see how often we think in terms of getting the right one. And it's a, a feature of the kinds of questions that we ask. And it's really quite appropriate that we ask those sorts of questions. Like we want to know in advance and before we arrive where we should be arriving, what it should look like, what it should feel like, how it will be when we get there. And yet the very nature of life is something in which that's not really possible for us. 
And that this meditation practice asks us, it's really an invitation in many ways to enter rather, we could say nakedly, or we could say to enter with a certain unprotectedness or vulnerability into the truth of our life. The sense of knowing how to do it and where we're going and what it's going to feel like or look like when I get there is part of the way we kind of maintain a sense of familiarity and comfort, which for all that I'm really happy that meditation has become something quite familiar and recognizable in our culture, there's a way in which it can start to become a little bit similar to everything else we use in order to adjust or to organize or to manipulate and possibly even wholesomely reconfigure our experience. I'm not saying that's bad. It's actually really helpful. And it can be that. That meditation has become something we recognize in our culture, it seems, Western culture. I don't know if it's like this in America, but in England where I live, um, you know, one of the most common garden ornaments you can find is a Buddha head. You know? And it's interesting how it's just become something that represents something that could be just an exotic Asian ornament in one's garden, but actually more than that, represents something that speaks of a quality of, of peace, of calm, of well-being that we, we maybe recognize as something we're interested in. And yet then this idea arises that, well, if I go on a meditation retreat, surely, you know, arriving from the condition of chaos, busyness, confusion, stress, pressure, difficulty, all of that that goes on, that surely coming on a retreat, then my experience should be calm, should be peaceful, should be sort of overflowing with a sense of well-being, a joy. of, And, you know, I'm not saying that that isn't going to happen or it shouldn't happen, but if it's not what it's happening, if it's not what's happening, how are we with that? Both the fact of that being the experience, but in a larger sense, the reality that what happens isn't maybe what we imagined would happen. That what happens isn't necessarily what we'd expected. And it's interesting, isn't it? Even if we've done lots of retreats before, this is a good thing in a certain way. If we've done lots of retreats before, we sort of somehow seem to forget, I observe, what it's like on the first day. Yeah? That it can be really hard. And it's a good thing we forget that or else we might not come back. (laughs) Because sometimes it's really hard. And of course, for those of you for whom this is the first retreat, it's perhaps good news to hear that one forgets, not because of the forgetting, but because the forgetting takes place because actually it doesn't necessarily stay quite this difficult. It's actually one of the most challenging things one could undertake, what we're doing here. Really. And it's important to acknowledge and to honor this. The philosopher Spinoza, I think it was Spinoza, I'm not a philosopher or a student of philosophy, but uh, I've heard this quote and love it when I heard it. Apparently once said, all noble human endeavors are as rare as they are challenging. And to 
to seek to awaken the heart and mind of a human being to ourselves, seek to, to deepen in wisdom and compassion and freedom and peace. This is a truly noble undertaking and something, as we've reflected already, something relatively rare in this world. But in equal proportion to that rarity, we see why it's kind of rare. It's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I think perhaps when I think about what, what I want to say when I sit here and speak at the end of the first day of a retreat, perhaps one of the most important things I want to say is, yeah, and if that's right, if that's so for you, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It doesn't mean that the sort of the, the imagined or hoped for fruit of practice is somehow going to be denied you because the body is uncomfortable, because the mind is agitated or sleepy or whatever else might be going on. A friend of mine who lived and worked here at IMS for nearly 20 years, I think, his name was Robert Trammell, but he was known to everyone as Bob T. And uh, we were once walking together, not so many miles away from here, in a snowstorm not so different than the one that's happening right now. And at some point, as we were facing the buffet of snowflakes into our faces, he turned to me and he said, you know, a friend of mine, just a friend of his, once observed, discomfort is the price of entry into the wilderness. And it really struck me when he said that. Discomfort is the price of entry into the wilderness. Because in fact, it was true that at some level for us, it was kind of uncomfortable to have this snow being blown into our faces. And yet, both of us were really enjoying being out there in the storm. And we were fortunate to have good boots and coats and the things you need. There's something about, and there's something of a nobility about our willingness to sit here, to walk back and forth, to do what's being invited of us. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of remarkable how many people actually pretty much follow what we say. You know, you might notice where people don't, or you might wonder if, you know, or I might occasionally, but it's more like it's remarkable how many people on a retreat like this actually come along and sit here for 45 minutes and get up and walk back and forth for another 45 minutes and come back and sit again and don't just get up and get in their car and drive home. (laughs) You know, that happens occasionally, but really, it's a really, really small proportion of people ever do that. Hmm? That's remarkable. We kind of maybe take it for granted here because we were told that we're supposed to, but it's probably quite obvious that for all that we say you're supposed to come for the whole thing, that no one's standing at the door making sure you don't leave, and yet you're here. And I know very well how much that asks of you, just as it at times asks that of me. And getting my body to shift from the time clock it's operating on in England, to here in the space of two days. Over the, I don't know, I guess 15 years or so I've been coming to IMS, I've given up. I know, it just doesn't happen. And I will be on the first day, you know, only semi-functional in certain ways. 
And it's like, okay, that's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. What's really interesting about it is the functionality that's absent is the forward planning organizational functionality. I find if I can let that go, then the bit that's about just meeting someone or doing something right here and now, that bit still seems to work, fortunately, or else it'll be a lot more difficult. And in a way, there's a... I've not actually thought about it like this before. There's a way in which the shift that we make when we enter into a retreat, when we put down all of our normal activities and engagements, it's bringing us into a field, into an environment in which that particular functionality capacity isn't so needed. That ability to forward plan and organize for. Because most of the practical things are organized for us. There's actually a team of wonderful people working really hard in such a way that you don't really notice it, which is very clever, <laughs> to actually make this whole thing happen so that we don't need to. So that we can actually put it all down. There's a oh, real sense of breathing out when we let ourselves take that in to say, oh yeah, we don't need to make this thing happen. This, you know, the good ship IMS, sometimes call it the mothership, the first retreat center like this in the West from which many others, including Guy House in England, near where I live, which have, have kind of drawn a lot of inspiration, although not necessarily followed in every way. But that sense of this retreat, this endeavor, having brought ourselves here, having placed ourselves here, it kind of, it heads off. We don't exactly know where it's going. We don't exactly know what the journey will be like. But we've begun. And here we are. And in some ways, that's all we need to know. And together with that knowing that we're here, we see the opportunity to, to develop, to cultivate certain capacities which will serve us in this. And they're not those capacities that are to do with forward planning or organizational thinking, which you know were really important in getting us here, for sure. And they have a sort of minor function getting us back into the hall at the right time, but you know that's not too complicated. It doesn't always work out for us, but mostly we manage it again, it seems. And yet, the sense of just, okay, am I willing to, to let myself be exposed to my life directly? You know, it sounds like a nice idea. Sounds like it could be a good thing. It might even be wise or spiritual or maybe even compassionate to let myself really be exposed to my life, to feel it, to let it touch me. And yet, much of what happens in the way we live habitually and often unconsciously is that we're kind of in a movement or a process of momentum in which we're constantly moving away from where I am to somewhere else, to something else, to producing a different circumstance or experience or possession or, or to generating a different interior experience or wanting to somehow construct, craft or create a, a different sense of who I am. And that, that movement, there's an ongoingness that's slightly tipping forward off balance in which we never quite get to land and stop and say, I'm here, I've arrived. And we, we notice that as a, as a sense of, why is this still going on? Does it ever come to an end? And one of the things that is possible here in a retreat is that sense of, maybe I don't need to keep doing that. Maybe I can actually stop right here. 
Maybe I don't even know quite what that will feel like or what that will be for me. But something in us perhaps starts to get the sense that the instructions aren't be a really good mindful meditator and watch every breath and feel every sensation in your body. Because that's not what we're saying. We're saying use the experience that's happening right here that's immediate. That in the context of sitting is this body sitting here breathing. That's in a way the most significant thing happening at a bodily level that we can feel. And there's lots of other significant things happening. There's blood moving around and the belly gurgling away and all those things. But you know, the breathing stops. Nothing else much is going to keep going for very much longer. So in one sense, the sense of the body sitting here breathing, it's just an ordinary experience. And in another sense, it's, it's vital. And there's a vitality in coming into the immediacy of things. Because that's actually where the life is. And when, we, when we're trying to figure out how to organize, how to control, how to fix, how to manipulate experience, we depart from where the life is and attempt to engage with where it might be, or where we think it's going to be, or where we desperately hope it's not going to end up. You notice how that movement into the future is born of either hope or fear. And our entanglement and engagement with the past is so much trying to figure out how things work in order to make sure that in the future I'll get more of the things I want and not so many of the things I didn't like. Yeah? And there's an appropriate learning and understanding that happens in that way. But much of the activity that's going on is unconsciously driven by an, we could say an unease or perhaps more compassionately a, that we haven't yet learnt to be at ease with how it is to be what it is that we are and to experience the life that actually is this life rather than some other life that we imagined or that we were told was the one that was supposed to be happening. So the sense of entry into wilderness, it's, it, wilderness is an interesting word, isn't it? You know, at one sense, the wilderness, scary, don't go there. It's like that's where there, you know, there'd be dragons. Those bits on the edges of the ancient maps where nobody had been and, you know, there be dragons or there the, the ocean pours off the edge of the planet and into the cosmos. It's like, let's not go beyond what we know because it's scary. It's not something we know how to handle. We think. When we think about it, we don't know how to handle it. But when we actually meet it, there is a capacity we have for opening into the experience, whatever it might be. And so there's a, there's a learning we do here by allowing ourselves to, to be touched by what's happening and to see the places where we struggle where we're not able to easily receive it, where we find our mind spinning and busy and we just so want the mind to be quiet. And if you had that experience, it's just like, oh, it would be just so nice if my mind would be quiet for just a few moments. You know? And you know what happens when the mind is quiet for a few moments? There's this, oh, that's so lovely. And then very quickly we start thinking, how did I do that? <laughs> As if it was something I did. And we get busy figuring it out again. It's like in a moment, it's like, ah, 
We can't quite let ourselves have the experience because we want to know how to keep it. So how is it for you to be here? A human being. This delicate, sensitive, remarkable organism that we are. That feels. That's touched. That has the deep longing and yearning that all our hearts have. However it may be expressed. For peace, for freedom for deepening and understanding and kindness, for sense of connection. Allowing ourselves to be exposed isn't easy. It's interesting to me how many times I find myself in the same place of knowing that actually I like it when I do it, but I'm not really sure I want to do it. In fact, I'm quite sure that I'd really rather not have to do that little bit before the bit where it starts to soften and open and I remember that I appreciate it in so many ways. And one of the ways that stands out for me that it's kind of, I find it useful to reflect on it is to do with, for instance, exercising. It's like, I know that I feel really good when I do it regularly, but sometimes I don't manage to. Meditation is much the same. If one does it regularly, it can start to feel really lovely as an experience, at least some of the time. But if we haven't done a lot of it for a while, or if we're increasing the amount we're doing, so just like exercise, maybe used to going for a walk once or twice a week, or maybe even regularly every day, but then suddenly we spend all day walking? How are we going to feel if we spent, you know how many t- hours we spent meditating today? If we were to walk all day, we'd probably be really tired. We might even think, Oh, I used to think I could walk, but I'm not sure I can, I'm not really up to it now. Do you notice how that tendency to doubt might slip in? To say, oh, I'm not sure I can do it. It's one of the things that happens here a lot. It's such a common um, experience that is brought to, uh, to myself and uh, others of us here teaching a retreat. The sort of the sense of someone reporting the meditation and they're kind of drowsy or sort of agitated or sort of struggling with some physical discomfort or emotional distress that's hard to handle. And the sense of, oh, I've been working on it all day. I can't do this. It's just not possible. It's just too much. You know, Maybe I should just give up. I'm not cut out for this. It's the wrong practice. Now this whole sort of thing. And then a person looks up and everyone else is sitting there so calm. So, so still, looking peaceful and noble and all those things the teachers were talking about. And it's like, here we are. It's a room with, you know, 94 Buddhas to be. And, you know, all on the edge of complete awakening. And one overcooked vegetable. <laughs> Just sort of... Or one, you know, overcharged bundle of agitation. Depending whether you go towards that kind of drowsiness, sleepiness, heaviness, or whether it's more the restlessness, agitation, that's the the kind of imbalance you're maybe working with. And you know, in that story, the person kind of says, well, I can't do anything about it. I might as well give up. Maybe I'll go home at the end of the sitting. And then a moment later, someone else, struggling with very much the same sort of thing, looks up, looks over at them, and, oh, they're really calm. That person seems really steady in their seat. It's like we don't know what's going on for each other. 
but the truth of it is that we all go through an immense amount. And as we allow ourselves to do so, as we keep coming back to our experience, something starts to shift in the relationship to it. And we can't do this. We can perhaps, because we've known it in the past, trust that it's possible. But even that, that resistance, that sense of, I'm not sure, do I really want... Did anyone have that thought? Is this really a good idea to be doing this all day? Did anyone have that thought today? You know, Even those of you who may have done this over years and decades and know that it's really good and useful and nourishing, if not always easy, and still the thought comes in, maybe, maybe it's not such a good idea. How much harder it is, of course, if one's never done it before. But just for those, again, just to, to know that that thought can arise even after many years of practice. It doesn't mean in any way that there's any validity to the uncertainty, but just that sometimes that's what we experience. So the experience is valid. Just the conclusions we might draw from it might be, I think, usefully left in the realm of not known. So we don't need to make any conclusions, but... Just before, when I was, again, reflecting, as I said, and I realized that actually that organizational part of my mind wasn't really available. I thought, well, I could just kind of read through something that I've said before, and that would work, because I can still read, but I didn't want to do that. Um, and I thought, well, okay, I, I, I've kind of been here before. In fact, it sort of, uh, some of you probably even heard me talk about it before. So uh, that, because it, it happens pretty much every time I come. Um, and actually when I travel to other places similarly. So I thought what I need to do is go for a run. And actually it's like take care of my general well-being. And then it's like the storm starts. And it's snowing. I think, do I want to go out in that? It's going to get cold. And I think, I could put lots of clothes on and then I won't get cold. But I think, if I put lots of clothes on after I've been running for 20 minutes, then I'll get hot. I don't want to get hot. <laughs> and it's like my whole mind is... You know? It's like I don't... It's like nothing's going to work here. And then actually when I get out there and it's like the snow's in my face, my eyes are getting the snowflakes in them and I realize, yeah, I'm actually, it's okay. I start to enjoy it a little bit, even though I really wish the snow wouldn't blow in my face. You know, it's just like I wish those thoughts would stop coming into my mind in meditation, you know. But I went out for a run in the snow. What did I expect? <laughs> you sit down with a mind that's been spinning all day or week for how many years, lifetimes, decades, and expect it's going to stop? What do we expect? That just because I decided I'd rather not have that happen, it's going to stop? It's kind of sweet, innocent, <laughs> kind of touching almost, but it's not what happens. And yet if we don't make too much of and just stay with the process, which in the case of running as well, one foot after another, here we go, in the meditation, it's like, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back. Just reconnect. Just reconnect. That's all we're asked to do here. When we notice wherever we are, reconnect. When we notice we're resisting the experience, see if we can open. See if we can just say, okay, it's like this. It's like this. What starts to happen, and it strikes me when I'm outdoors in more difficult conditions, is that at a certain point, the very contact itself starts to become, or the very experience itself, starts to reveal a certain vitality, 
There's a certain aliveness that comes to us when we, we get through the fear of the discomfort, of the out-of-controlness. of the. It's actually really quite unpleasant to have thoughts pouring into one's mind. You know? It's really quite unpleasant. And it's equally, we say it's kind of unpleasant to have snowflakes hitting your eyeballs. I'm thinking, I wish I had a nice peaked cap or goggles or something, but I don't. Here we are. What do we expect? And yet if we can just stay with that and be kind to ourselves, understanding that, yeah, no one I know likes being exposed to things that are uncomfortable. No one I know likes having to sit with a mind that's going blah, 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 blah. Or I don't like it, I don't like it, I don't like it. Or it's scary, it's scary, it's scary. Or I want it like this, or I want it like this. I don't know anyone who enjoys that experience. Mostly people in the world, and that includes us in the world often enough, deal with it by getting as far away as we can from actually feeling it. And here we have to go through that place of feeling it in order to understand what's underneath it. If we move away from our experience, it's still going on, all that agitation, all that dis-ease, unease, and yet we're kind of tumbling forward into our life, out of balance, out of control. And that's even more painful than letting yourself feel the places. And it's not to say, of course, that it's all like that. There are sweet moments when we're touched. I can't imagine anyone here went through this whole day without some moments where you really made contact, just with a sense of putting your foot down or tasting the soup of the, in the evening or, or just having a sense of your body as you moved or as you sat or your breath. Where it wasn't just, oh, finally, I've got it. It's more like just... Here we are, just for a moment. And in that moment is something that we recognize, that touches us, that speaks to us. Not to the mind, not to the head, but to the, we could say the heart, we could say the being, we could say the, the heart, mind, consciousness, but whatever it is that it's speaking to, it knows. And it listens, and it goes, yes. Just quietly, yes. Just, just now and then. And only a few moments of that are enough to really let us know about a qualitative shift that's possible for us. There's something qualitative that happens in this being here. So it's not about how many moments we're mindful, although it's really useful to sustain and develop the practice and to come back and be here more and more fully. But it's like when we're here, there's a, there's a gathering, there's a collecting. There's a, it's almost like, I sometimes think of it as like gathering water in one's hands. You know, it's like it, letting it pull, letting it gather. Rather than grabbing our mind and squeezing it tight and holding it here, we can't do that with water. It just slips through your fingers. But it's like we just form a, more like a cupping a sense of a holding, of a receiving, and it's kind of interesting, this gesture. don't know if you have a sense of what it's like. it's like. It's like we're receiving. It's not up to us. We're receiving, and if it's water, some of it gets through the gaps in our fingers. But if we stay in that relationship to our experience of just letting it be received, letting it be felt. So we're, we're holding it in the sense of bringing forth a tender, connective, responsive capacity, which the the inside of our hands perhaps express and represent. Bringing, turning towards our experience with this sense of receiving, of allowing. And sometimes what lands in that softness might feel sharp or sore or 
hard to handle. And some of what we'll talk about and speak about is how we develop the capacity to, to meet, to hold, to handle. This that, you know, when we talk about wilderness, we're, some, we're talking about something that hasn't, in a way, been civilized, aren't we? sense of what is wild is that which hasn't been in a way configured and controlled and manipulated to be reliably comfortable and predictable. That's why it's scary. But you know, if we really could get everything comfortable and predictable, we'd all fall asleep. Really. Those are actually the conditions we mostly need in order to fall asleep. And... Uh, while it's attractive for a certain number of hours in the day, in fact, it's more than attractive, it's kind of useful to be able to have that condition of relative safety and comfort in order to be able to rest. The deeper calling of life is not to fall asleep, but to wake up. And the sense of wilderness is something that has an invigorating quality when we open to it. What I notice again and again, whether on the meditation cushion with a sort of a a difficult mind or a challenging body, or in other situations such as I was speaking, being outdoors and conditions where something about being outdoors, it's like it's obvious we can't control it. That when we open into that, something else comes through the discomfort that offers a vitality a joy and a love of our life, in our life, with our life. That isn't about our life being any different than it is. It's not about not longer getting the snow in our eyes or the thoughts that we wished weren't in our mind. But about something else that calls to us that speaks to us, that asks us to step away from the familiar habits and patterns of avoidance and pursuit, of seeking one thing, rejecting another. There's something about just being right here. Something about the the isness, the hereness, the thisness of what's right here. That we can start to relax into. We can start to trust. It takes time. It's not easy. But it's something we can begin to deeply relax into. Running at night in the snow. What I was struck by was the very small torch attached to my, to my waist. There's just a little pool of light, and I do it this way deliberately. We just enough to see where my next footfall is going. I don't want it to shine af- ahead of me because then I can't see my feet. And actually then I can't really see anything except where the light is pointing. But it's just down there so I can see my feet. And then there's the sense of the space and the openness around it. It struck me as I was out there. I didn't mean to talk so much about going for a run, but that's what happened just before I came in. So, um, The sense of the... That actually it's enough light just to see where we are. 
just to know where we are in this moment, to trust that. That what that actually brings, although there's a certain unknownness to everything else, a certain, we could say it could be scary, it's certainly not so predictable, but there's also something about the space that's out there for us, that's in here for us, we could say equally. There's actually more space here when we start to just tune in to where we are, to just this breath, to just this step, to just this mouthful of soup, or whatever it might be. That it's not about the breath or the step in the end, although that's the support, or the the mouthful of soup, that's the support for what it's really about. And yet it's not something different than that either. It's not, oh, there's something else. No, no. Not at all. But there's something we can start to recognize, resonate with. It's almost like learning the language of the heart, of the not of the heart in terms of emotions, but of the when I use heart, heart there are more the that deeper dimensionality of what it is that we are. The language of that which resonates, which vibrates, which is touched, which is responsive. And which has a, in a way, an offering that we can learn to more and more fully receive moment by moment in our lives. So we're, in a way, learning a new language. And it's one way to understand meditation. It's actually learning the language of what is true, of what is immediate, of what is here and now. Because so much of what comes to us as information, as experience, as communication, doesn't necessarily touch us in the deepest places of our being, of our heart, we could say. And that not being touched, that feeling of not being satisfied, is part of what leads to the sort of the, the amplification, the speeding up, the busyness that we can see all around us. So much more is available to us as a human species, as a culture, particularly in the West, but not just here, than has ever been available to human beings before. It's remarkable how fortunate and blessed we are in that regard. And at the same time, it's, it's actually tragic to see how deeply and profoundly unsatisfying it is for many people to simply be able to have more. And one sees that everything needs to get louder and faster and more because there's a, there's a longing that's not being fulfilled. And so far as the belief that it needs more or it needs stronger or louder in order for there to be fulfillment, it doesn't work. If it was going to work, it would have worked by now. We'd have said, this is enough. The sound of a gunshot on a movie compared to 20 years ago? I'm sure it's five times as loud. Because back then, pop was enough to let us know that a gun went off. But now somehow we need to have it make a, you know, our stomach shake. To remember that we're alive. But we don't need that kind of intensity. What we actually need is to allow the sensitivity to come through more fully. And that sensitivity is supported and served by 
this quiet listening. This quiet listening that we're engaged in here. That's a listening of with interest. It's not a disinterested listening we're invited to practice here. Because this is our life. It isn't somewhere else. It's not going to happen after the retreat or in the next sitting. It's only going to happen where we are, ever. It's the only place it can happen. And there isn't anywhere else. There isn't anywhere else. But in this place of here and now, there is so much more than we could conceive or imagine. And so the coming into the space of retreat, at an outer level, the arriving here at IMS, the being here, the allowing ourselves to, to kind of settle in, this transition. And we've made an incredible shift just in one day. Think about what was happening 48 hours ago. Really, for your, I don't know what was going on for you. I know what was going on for me. <laughs> but think, and what went on today. So really be patient and gentle with yourself in that journey of transition. Give yourself space and time for the settling that is happening to reveal itself and its fruit. And allow yourself to care about what's here. Not in the sense of demanding it to be a particular way, but to care about our life. To actually bring ourselves to be here with it is the expression of the deepest caring we can offer to ourselves and to this world. And through that, of course, many forms of external caring also find their expression. But it begins in this bringing ourselves inwardly into here and listening with care. Being willing to move with and through the territory where that's uncomfortable, where the momentum and the pressure and the activity of mind and body isn't easy for us to be with, but which we can learn to make friends with. And to see what speaks to us in this place most deeply. There's a Swedish poet, Thomas Tranströmer, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing, who wrote of this process of what we're engaged in here. He said, Tired of all who come with words, words but no language. I went to the snow-covered island. The wild does not have words. The unwritten pages spread themselves out in all directions. I come across the marks of roe deer hooves in the snow. Language, but no words.
entering into this field of caring and careful attentiveness, of quietitude and contemplation. We may encounter the language of no words, which isn't the same as saying that words have to somehow go away. Of course, here am I sitting speaking. Our minds will continue to engage with them, of course, and appropriately so. But what is it that we might encounter if we allow ourselves to cross the threshold, we could say, the threshold that is really the doorway into our life that is this immediacy, this engagement with what is here, that is caring, that is attentive, that is interested to see if we can be open, if we can make friends with whatever we encounter within us and around us. In order to know more fully and more deeply what it is to be. To be this life that we are. So let's sit quietly together for a few moments. And so may we all, together, in our practice here on retreat and in our lives, come to rest more deeply in our natural capacity to be touched and present to life, just as it is, just as we are.
right here where it's unfolding. So let ourselves be informed by the truth which speaks in each moment to that within us that understands. That knows and that loves the very heart of life. For our own well-being and for the welfare of all beings. So thank you for your practice here through the day, for your attentive presence here this evening. It's time now for some walking meditation and then at 10 minutes to 9 we'll have the, the last group sitting of the evening and at the beginning of that sitting there'll be a little chanting. So uh, we'll say a bit more about that when we get there. For now... Uh, Please continue with your practice. 